Hello, Church family. Uh, this is it. We have reached the very end, chapter 40 of Exodus. Um, this is really the uh, mark of the beginning of the end for uh, Israel in a lot of ways. It's the beginning of the end in that uh, this whole event takes place uh, one year after um, they, were, uh, they left from the Exodus. So I suppose if I was able to stretch this out and actually preach through this or teach through this for one year it would have been a very fitting timetable for all the things that happened <laughs> in the book of Exodus spanned about a year um, most of it was you know I think it was at least 80 days of it was when Moses was in up in the up in the mountains with uh, with Mount Sinai with the Lord getting the Ten Commandments but as we reach the end it's very cool just to see that um, uh, this is really a progression of God's uh, power and promise through redemptive history. Um, so as we walk through this text, I just, I'm just going to draw again some application things for us to think about in relation to uh, who God is and as we tie everything together in the book of Exodus. First one, Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you have set a tabernacle of the tent of meeting. Now again, this is made about one year after um, they were left, that they left the Exodus. So a lot can have changed in that one year, right? Remember that first... There was a group of people that came out with them that ended up being killed for making that golden calf. Uh, there were some uh, that, you know, that, that because of their sin um, and their idolatry and even their complaining were killed because of it. So this, this, a lot has happened for the Israelites in this one year time. They were told a year ago uh, by Moses that, hey, you got to get out of here. And they, they witnessed all these uh, plagues and everything else, and uh, you know, a year later, they finally uh, have enough resources to construct this uh, tabernacle and and you know, the tabernacle, the ark, and also the priestly of uh, garments. So when they get into the promised land, they're able to establish that Yahweh is with them. And throughout, throughout this entire narrative, you just see the perspective of the Israelites that they're finally moving forward. Um, and chronologically, you know, obviously this is, this happens before, like Joshua, and uh, you know we have um, numbers coming up with Pastor Henry teaching it. You'll see that even though they see all of this here, there's still a sense in which they fail to, uh, you know, fail to obey the Lord. Because it's easy for us to, in moments of extreme excitement, to, to be uh, excited for the Lord and seemingly faithful, but it it requires more than just a moment. You need to build these convictions in your heart so that you can constantly be dwelling upon the testimonies and the goodness of God. <coughs> and this is what's happening here. That they finally were able to build this tent. Uh, verse 3. You shall place the ark of the testimony there, and you shall screen the ark with the veil. You shall bring it in the table and arrange what belongs on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and mount its lamps. Moreover, you shall set the gold altar of incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the veil before the doorway to the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offerings in front of the doorway of the tabernacle of the tent of meetings. You shall set the laver between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. You shall set up the court all around and hang up the veil of the gateway of the court. So this whole thing here, which is a summarize of what they were told to do in terms of constructing the temple. Verse 8. You shall set up the court all around and hang uh, and hang up the veil for the gateway of the court. Uh, then you shall take the anointing of oil and anoint the tabernacle and all 
that is in it and shall consecrate it and all its furnishing and it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and its utensils and consecrate the altar. And the altar shall be most holy. You shall anoint the labor and the stand and consecrate. Then you shall bring Aaron and the sons of doorways attended, meeting and washing them with water. You shall put the, put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him uh, that he may minister as a priest. You shall bring the sons and put tunics on them. You shall anoint them even as you have anointed their fa father that they have minister that they may minister as priests to me and their anointing will qualify them for perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. So this is really cool and that as they're moving towards um, you know before they even move that they, they have to anoint them and even the things in the temple and the idea is that when you anoint something uh, it's making something holy and separate. And that's what the that's who God is. God is separate from them. Uh, God's separate from people. And the priest that's supposed to be a representation of God to man, a representative from God to man and man to God. He and all the uh, people under the Levitical priesthood are supposed to be different, is distinct as well. So it's supposed to be a picture of the fact that like, in order for you to be close to the Lord, you need to be holy, and you need a particular group of people. And that's what's going on here. That they were that these people, Aaron and his kids, are brought uniquely to the Lord, so that they can be a perpetual priest, uh, just as uh, the Lord had commanded them to do so. Verse 17. Now, in the first month of second year's first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. <coughs> Moses erected the tabernacle and laid its sockets and set up its boards and inserted its bars and erected its pillars. Now, I do want to say something here that when it's, whenever they say Moses erected it. Um, he technically didn't do it. It's more like he was a represent representative as well as the inspector. Inspector, he didn't. There's no way he himself was able to keep putting up this entire t thing by himself. That would take a lot, a lot longer. But the tent itself, the way that it's just constructed, should be something that you're able to do in a matter of an hour or two. It doesn't take that long, but it is very particular. So when it says here that Moses is the one set up, he's really the one responsible of setting everything up. Um, and that's important to know because then they'll say that later he, he erected everything. There's no way he could have done it. But he had help from the people that was there. But he just made sure that everything was done according to what God had said. Uh, verse 19, he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put a covering of the tent on top of it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Uh, he took the testimony, put it in the ark, and attached the poles of the ark and put the mercy seat on, on top of the ark. Verse 21, he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil for the screen and screened off the ark of the, t of the testament just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Then he put the table in the tent and on, on the meeting of the north side of the tabernacle outside the wall. He set the arrangement of bread in order, to, in, in order on it before the Yahweh just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Then he placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table of the south side of the tabernacle. He lighted the lamps before the before Yahweh, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Then he placed a gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the veil, and he burned fragrant incense on it, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Then he set up a veil for the doorway of the tabernacle. He set up the altar, a burnt offering before the doorway of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and offered on it the burnt offering and meal offering, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. He placed a lever between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it for washing. From it, Aaron and and Mo uh, Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. 
when they entered the tent of meetings and when they approached the altar, they watched, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the veil of the gateway of the court. Thus, Moses finished the work. So you'll notice as I was reading the passage that there was a recurring phrase, and that is that just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. And this is important because everything that the Israelites were supposed to do, they were supposed to do it because God has told them to do so, which is the legitimate reason why even Christians do what they do. If people, <coughs> excuse me, if people were to ask you why you go to church, there is a sense in which the right answer is because you're following what the God, what the Bible has to say. When people ask you why you live with a certain type of ethic, uh, you, you do it just because that's what God has commanded you. And these things are actually legit answers, and they're not. It seemed very trivial at time, but this is a, at this, especially in this day and age, it's a very bold thing to say to say that you are not an autonomous person, that you being bought by Jesus Christ, you belong to Him, and you're a slave to Christ. And all that you do, from your moral ethic to the, your work ethic, to everything about you, from why where you dress, why you think, all your worldviews, why you uh, do what you do, and spend the time that you do in the Word of God and how to live all of those things, is because God has commanded you to do so. That is a that's very countercultural, and it can be offensive to people, but it is true. The reason why we do what we do is because we love the Lord. That's that's primary. But we do, but we do. But when we love the Lord, we do what He says, right? Jesus says, "If you love me, you'll keep my commandments." And there's this, there's a sense in which that's how we are supposed to be, just like how Moses did everything according to what God has commanded him. We are to do the same as well. We don't make uh, compromises on things that we want, or we try to find ways to find loopholes so that we don't have to obey the Lord. Rather, we're called to listen and submit to the Lord, just as the Lord has commanded us to do. And in that, in that submission to Him, we find blessing and, and, and closeness to the Lord. Being a light and testimony is secondary, but mainly the reason why we submit to Him is because we love Jesus. We love Him, so we do what He tells us to do. And that's what the Israelites were doing here. The reason why they did all these things is because at this very moment in time, they were people that loved God and they wanted to be close with God. They wanted to see God do more miracles and bless them and protect them. They became more dependent and reliant on the Lord, and then they just did exactly what God commanded. And the moments that you see that the Israelites were faithful, God was able to demonstrate His uniqueness to them. Whether it is overtaking nations, even though the method of how they go to go about things are sometimes bizarre and strange, or it is just the, the providential means of the Lord providing sustenance for them. All the reasons why they're able to do these things is because they did exactly what God has commanded them. God, our ways are not like God's way. God's ways beyond us. Our thoughts are not like His. The thoughts are above and beyond ours. So sometimes His uh, God's way of understanding, or God's understanding of the world, is exactly what it's supposed to be, and we're just trying to figure out how that works. Meaning, if it, there's a certain way in which the created order was designed, so that if you follow it, you can actually do it for God's glory and, and, and do it in a way that it's pleasing to Him. An example would be like marriage. If you're faithful in your marriage, you, you'll be blessed by the Lord. If you do what the Bible tells you in the context of marriage, you'll find that your marriage is filled with blessing and joy. When it comes to parenting, we parent in a way that, <coughs> that focuses on the Lord and is, and is grounded in principle from God's Word. Parenting is actually very fun to do. 
difficult but very fun because you get to see how the Lord is shaping and molding your child to be more like uh, you know the way that, that He wanted him to be or your kids to be. When it comes to your singleness, if you honor the Lord in your singleness, if you're faithful to what the task has given you and, and even the joys of being single, you'll find that you'll be a blessing to those and essentially be extended hand for the Lord to be a blessing to other people. In whatever avenue in your life, as long as you're faithful to the Lord, as long as you do as the Lord has commanded you in His Word, uh, as the Holy Spirit works in your life, you will be blessed tremendously um, for it. And and not only that, but the main one is that you draw close to the Lord because of it. You start beginning to have the mind of Christ. You'll be holy and distinct like how our God is holy and distinct. Verse 34, Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting. The glory of, the, of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Now, was, now, after this was done, God you know, came in, descended in a cloud. This is the same cloud that was all the way back in um, when they were out in Mount Sinai, and then the cloud descended onto that mountain. It's the same type of cloud here. Um, and they weren't allowed to go in. This is supposed to be a visible uh, manifestation of the invisible God. They will show... This is how God chose to manifest himself in this huge cloud. And um, verse 35, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. And this will be a picture that like no one else was supposed to be in there except for Yahweh. And you, I just recently bought a home and the moment that they gave me the keys and all everything was closed, um, it no longer belonged to the other person. Even the person who built the home, it didn't belong to them anymore. It belonged to me and my family because we purchased it. That that's our place. This is the same way with the Lord. The Lord had gave them providence, the means by which they could build the temple through the promise um, of the Egyptians giving them the gold, and as well as uh, the, the the material and everything they need to build this thing. So this belongs to the Lord, and this this will show them that God is dwelling among them. God provided the the way for them to leave Egypt. God provided the means for them to survive through the the wilderness. And that's all because of God's doing. And all glory and praise goes to the Lord because of all that He's done. Verse 36, throughout all the journey, their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from the, from the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out. <coughs> set, out or set out until the day when it was taken up. And this is, again, showing you visually that the Lord is with them, but also the Lord is guiding them. So when the cloud was there, that's like, this is where you need to stay. So then they would uh, set up. Uh, they'll set up the tent there, and the God was amongst them. And then when the cloud went up, it's like, okay, now God's telling us, okay, we need to move. This is just, um, you know, the, God's way of, of showing them visibly that God will lead them, God will, will uh, provide for them, and God will uh, protect them. And as they follow this cloud into the, from this tent into the promised land, eventually the temple will be established, and then God will be in the temple with them, and everyone's supposed to praise and worship God in this temple. Um, verse 38, for throughout all their journey, the cloud of Yahweh was on the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. Again, this is a, uh, a picture of how they were being with God. And again, this in Hebrews, it talks about how all the tabernacle and all the temple are supposed to be a shadow or a, a shadow of heavenly realities. And the picture here is we'll let them know that Wherever God is, that's where we need to be. Because wherever God is, that's where true blessing and meaning and, and, and all of existence comes. So when uh, when Hebrews tell us that 
or no, sorry, in Second Corinthians, we're telling we're from passing from one glory to another that we're being solely made into uh, Christ's likeness. Uh, that's because we're being made into what we're supposed to be. Heaven is where we're supposed to be. Christ is supposed to, is the person that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to emulate Christ, and we're supposed to strive uh, in our faithfulness to be in that heavenly kingdom. And these are all a picture of that reality. For us, as a New Testament church, we don't have those. We don't have a temple. But what the church is supposed to be, it's supposed to be a foretaste of what heaven will be like. Heaven will be like this, in that we can sing praises. We'll be with one another, and we'll enjoy the company uh, primarily with the Lord and then with one another. And this is also, the things that we do now, this will be a foreshadow of what is to come. The glory that we'll be able to see in terms of being with the Lord. Something that should excite us and be able to motivate us to endure, just like how Israelites were the indwelling, had to uh, endure through all the wilderness journeys. The Christians are sojourners as well that we sojourn from this life to the next, hoping and knowing that the promise that we have with him in glory is to be with him for all of eternity. That's our hope that we have as Christians. Now, that's the book of Exodus as well. And I hope then you enjoyed these last, I think it was half a year that I've been doing this um, for the book of Exodus, January till June, yeah, June, so six months. Uh, So what I anticipate for at least for July. I'm actually going to take a, a, a month off for the month of July because I'm going to be in LA for most of the time doing my doctorate. So you can please pray for me there. Um, but when I return, I would like to go through, um, there's, there's, there's one book or two books that I have in mind, but I think I'm leaning towards the book of Acts right now. Um, it's almost like how Pastor Henry is going to do the book of Numbers. It's kind of like the sequel to to Exodus, I want to do the sequel to Luke, which is the book of Acts. Uh, this is, again, our way of pastors of trying to teach you the whole counsel of God. So if you just keep listening to each of these episodes or our sermons, you should have a greater knowledge of, who, of God's word and hope that you can live a holy and godly life. Thanks for listening this last half year, or if you've been listening since the beginning, a year and a half. Um, I hope that this is helpful and will return in August in the book of Acts. Take care and have a great day.